Um, so this is the uh, 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 this is my father's world creation care class. Um, last week we talked about uh, sort of an introductory of of uh, caring for creation, but not worshiping creation, um, worshiping the creator, uh, and and discovering and getting closer to the create create creator, uh, possibly through creation, um, and and also may, maybe realizing a different uh, slant on why in fact we're all here in the context of that. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about don't be a dodo bird. Um, and uh, I, I will explain uh, that that is relevant to what we're talking about today, but it's also fun to stand up in front of a class and just use terms like don't be a dodo bird too. Uh, I, I will say, I will say that. Um, so uh, how we started last week, uh, I, I loved and I'd like to do it again if we could. So if we could just stand uh, and sing This Is My Father's World. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks. Um, rocks and trees of skies and seas. Uh, round me rings the music of the spheres. That's a, that's a term that goes all the way back to the Greek Pythagoreans uh, who were studying the, studying the celestial bodies uh, and uh, realizing that you could uh, mathematically explain the orbits of uh, the, the movements of the planets in the sky. Uh, and they imagined that as they were doing that, uh, that, uh, that they were making music at the time. Um, so it's a, uh, that, that's an interesting, uh, interesting side note. They would, they would track the, the seven bodies in the sky that didn't behave like all the other stars. There was the sun and the moon and Mercury and Venus and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn were the seven bodies in the sky that they could see. Of course, they didn't know about the other planets. Uh, and and that planet means wanderer, and, uh, and so they, they would say that there's these seven planets uh, wandering around in the sky, and we can explain where they go using some of our magical mathematics that, we just, uh, that, we're, that we're just discovering. Um, uh, and that, that's actually, uh, many people think that that's where we get seven days of the week. Um, and it makes more sense going back to some of the older Latin uh, of uh, day of the sun and Lunis is, is Monday, and uh, it all gets complicated when we throw our German and Anglo-Saxon into the, the stew that is the English language. 
I'm going to go off script for just a second because Ginger said something last week about This Is My Father's World that I thought was really interesting and it's bothered me for a little while. She said, have you ever noticed that this sounds an awful lot like this. This theme from The Hobbit, um, in case you were wondering where that came from. Um, it's the theme from The Hobbit. The, the videos of that that, I, that I, I just loaded up late last night, I couldn't get to, uh, couldn't get to play. But uh, the, the first seven uh, notes of This Is My Father's World are the first seven notes of The Hobbit, uh, the, the Shire theme, that when you, when you watch the trilogies, uh, you find yourself humming that for a few days, and you're going, where does that come from? Where did that come from? Um, and so I, I, I did a little research, Googled it, um, uh, to, to see if there was any, any relationship, if that was on purpose or not. Uh, and it turns out that it is. It was on purpose, that the guy uh, who, who uh, did the score for the, uh, for the Lord of the Rings, he was tasked with write a haunting theme that has to do with Bilbo Baggins uh, going out to see the world, going out to see the world. And he remembered a story that he heard about the author uh, of This Is My Father's World, that he was a preacher uh, up in New York State at the, end of the, uh, uh, at the end of the 1800s, and he would go out and he would finish his preaching and he would uh, go on a hike up through the mountains. Uh, so the same escarpments that Niagara Falls uh, falls out of. And he would say at the end of his sermons, I'm going out to see my father's world. Um, and so when, when, uh, when uh, Mr. Howard Shore was tasked with writing a song about uh, Bilbo Baggins going out to see the world, Middle Earth in that case, uh, he thought back to, uh, I'm going out to see my father's world. The story also goes that in the hymnal that... Uh, Howard Shore grew up with, he looked in the hymnal, the uh, Methodist hymnal, and song number 111, 11-T-1st, was uh, This Is My Father's World. I don't know if I believe that or not, um, but it makes for an awfully good story anyway. He stole it. That's right. That's right. So, um, so the the HVAC just kicked on, and my two cans of Play-Doh I put up last week to hold the projector still are um, not, not doing as good a job as they did last week, so bear, bear with me. Um, those were the two videos that I embedded the links and not the videos, so in case you're wondering, um, put, a little bit, uh, put a little bit more time into your class preparation. Okay. Um, so I, I did this last week, and, and, and I'll probably do this every week. Uh, I think it's worthwhile uh, in, the, in, in this class to just start off with, with just some beautiful pictures of creation. Some, some weeks we'll, we'll watch a short video clip. Uh, in, in this case, we'll just, we'll just look at some beautiful pictures of creation. Um, I am not a photographer by any stretch of the imagination, but I did take this picture. And I didn't monkey with the settings or anything like that. I'm just a point-and-click kind of guy uh, when, I, when I take a picture. So that, 
This wasn't set on any, any special settings or filters or anything like that, but that's the sun setting over a sandstorm in the Sahara Desert. Uh, I was sitting on the edge of the uh, Blue River uh, that, uh, right before it empties into the Nile. Uh, it was about 115 degrees, um, but uh, uh, I've been working outside all day uh, on a water project and sat and watched the sun go down, and I thought, this is a beautiful, beautiful place. What you can't see is just over here, there's a, uh, uh, an area with a sign that says, keep out, um, there's landmines have not been cleared from this area, um, which greatly diminishes your well drilling capability, first of all. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of those reminders that many times the most beautiful things are very, very much mixed in with some of the most terrible things here uh, on the planet. Uh, Stephen Colbert says, I hate the environment. I feel surrounded by it. <laughs> Saw on a bumper sticker, ignore the environment, it'll go away. This was this week. This is Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is a supercell thunderstorm that started to rotate and it dropped a tornado down into, uh, into Tulsa, Oklahoma. This was taken from an airplane that understandably so was not trying to land in that storm. Um, but, uh, you know, just a, a, a beautiful display of, of, of nature, of nature's power, uh, of, of the things that God has put into motion here on this planet. Uh, mixed in with the Groucho Marx, why should I care about future generations? What have they ever done for me? Um, I just pulled out a stock photo of, uh, of wildflowers in the meadow because I wanted to use this quote very much from Eeyore, weeds are flowers too once you get to know them. Um, I had that conversation with Ginger yesterday about our flower bed. <laughs> nope, guess what I'm doing this afternoon. Um, yeah, weeds are flowers too once you get to know them. I think that that's, uh, I think that's wonderful. This is another display of nature's power. Uh, and beauty at the same time. Uh, there's a big volcano that's currently erupting in the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. Uh, rerouting planes, it's not a particularly large eruption in the history of the world and, uh, in geologic terms or anything like that, but it's very, very pretty. Um, uh, they're rerouting planes to Anchorage and, and things like that, but it's, it's, uh, it's very, very pretty. One of the things that's really cool about when earthquake, uh, when volcanoes erupt in the right atmospheric conditions, they can create their own weather and destabilize the atmosphere to the point that lightning follows the ash cloud uh, uh, back down to the to the volcano's peak. Um, and I think that's a, uh, that that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we can explain this with. Uh, with terms like ionosphere and charged particles and things like that. Uh, the ancients seeing something like that, I can't imagine what was going through their minds, but uh, uh, we have done a good job of explaining away some of the beauty of, uh, of our creation through equations and through chemistry and through physics. I tend to live forever, so far so good. All right, more, more cool pictures of creation. When life gives you lemons like these, it's time to stop living next to the nuclear reactor. <laughs> I will buy that. Um, that's the backside of Mount Rushmore. 
<laughs> I just thought that was funny. I don't know the story behind this picture at all. Don't give the bison psychoactive substances. There's got to be a really good reason that somebody put that sign up. Um, I would love to know what it is. Uh, Albert Einstein uh, gives us a, a, good, a good thought. Re relativ relativity applies to physics, but not to ethics. Um, and I think that's a good, a, a good uh, primer for what we're going to be talking about today, uh, that, uh, that ethics is something that is not relative, uh, that doing the right thing for the right reasons, for the right people, with the right series of thoughts uh, is, uh, is always, always the right thing to do. So, today we're talking about don't be a dodo bird. Um, why, why on earth would I be talking about the dodo bird? Um, it's a good example of what happens when humankind meets something that has not met humankind. And that's a, that, that's a pretty, pretty powerful thing if you think about it because we don't have... There aren't too many places that aren't touched, aren't visited, uh, aren't seen, uh, that we haven't interfered with. And I'm not saying that's altogether bad, but it's just a, just a point of reference for us. In the 1600s, uh, late 1500s, early 1600s, uh, uh, Europeans started exploring and seeing the world and, and settling in the world. Uh, and they went uh, all the way around the tip of Africa uh, they finally made it. The Portuguese made it around the tip of Africa, and they went to Madagascar, and then out in the little east of there in the Indian Ocean was the island of Mauritius. And they got to the island of Mauritius, and there were these three-foot-tall birds that were flightless that were, by all accounts, not very smart. And the reason that they weren't very smart is that the sailors, who had been eating not very good food, could walk right up to the dodo bird whack it on the head and have a nice dinner. And one of these, or one or two of these was, was ample enough to feed an entire crew of, of hungry, uh, hungry uh, uh, sailors. So uh, being a dodo bird became synonymous with not being very smart. Like you would think if there were several of them sitting around and you see one of them get whacked on the head and killed that the rest would scatter because that's what animals that we're familiar with do they had never seen human beings before and they didn't realize that we were the most powerful predator ever to walk on this earth and so they didn't have this instinct that says those things that walk around kind of funny and smell kind of funny are extremely extremely dangerous and so they would see them walking up and they would they would club somebody and their other dodo birds would just kind of be doing whatever it is that dodo birds do well 50 years later there weren't any of them left they were all gone. They only lived on the island of Mauritius. Um, they were all gone. And it's a, it's, it's a bit of a humbling and sad commentary that the animals that are left on this planet fall into two categories. The ones that have become our pets and the ones that are terrified of us. And that there's nothing else in between. That the only way to survive is to run away from us or to wag your tail and be cute. Um, they did neither one. So, I'm saying to us, don't be a dodo bird, but also, don't be an Elmer Fudd either. Don't be, uh, I, I, am hunting, uh, I am hunting wabbits. I'm not saying don't hunt. I'm not saying don't hunt. 
but I am saying that it does call into question the ethics of hunting for sport. If you hunt, fish, catch, uh, to put something in your freezer, uh, uh, possibly even to make, make clothes out of, I can, I can follow that. To hang something on your wall, I have an ethical problem with that. Uh, I, I really and truly do. Um, and, and, and that's something that I think is worth talking about, uh, perhaps at a later date. But either way, don't call it a sport, because the sport is where all the participants know that they're playing. Right? Hunting is not a sport. All the participants know they're playing sports. So going and killing and, and, and taking over, uh, let's not be too hard on ourselves because that's, for, for whatever reason, that's kind of programmed in. And I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here that, that, that might be, uh, anyway, it's, it's a point of reference. Uh, and because it happened 13,000 years ago, you really can't prove me wrong. But here's, here's, here's where the story, here's where I'd like to take the story because I think it has some relevance with how we act and the decisions that we make and the things that we plunder and the Groucho Marxian future generations haven't really done anything for me. The things that we do don't affect just our children, but they affect people 13,000 years from now and 100,000 years from now for positive and for negative. The story goes, the story goes with the settlement of the Western Hemisphere, um, with the settlement of the Western Hemisphere, during the last ice age, 13,000, 14,000 years ago, uh, the sea levels fell because everything got locked up in ice caps, and these wanderers, these hunter-gatherers that were were following game around over in Siberia and and Eastern Asia, were just following game around and doing what they do, and they wound up on an entirely new continent. They wound up on an entirely new continent that was full of dodo birds, okay? They wound up on a continent with all kinds of animals that had never seen human beings before. This is 13,000 years ago. This is prehistory, pre-prehistory. Um, and, and again, th this, there's discussions on a variety of fronts, um, but let, let's go strictly with what the prevailing opinion is in the archeological record, paleontolo paleontological record for right now, um, that, that you get to all uh, this entire hemisphere that did not have people in it, okay? And obviously these are the ancestors of the Native Americans, of the Aztecs, of the Incans, of the Mayans, of the, uh, what was it, Mississippian culture that lived uh, here in Tennessee. They showed up with this. Uh, this is called a Clovis spear point, uh, so named do you ever find stuff like that? Oh yeah. You want to tell tell us all about no, it? I don't know about it. I, my dad is the expert, but that, you said clay with fleet. It's fleeted clovis. Yeah. All are all over Town Creek, Alabama. Yeah. On the river, I mean the creek basin. So this is the the, the thirteen thousand BC version of the stealth bomber right here, right? Um, for for humankind going through fire pits and things, there's this distinct marker. It's named Clovis because it's found, th these were first found in Clovis, New Mexico, and then really all over this hemisphere they found about the same radiocarbon dating of 13,000 years ago. They started making these spear points, 
and that made them incredibly efficient hunters. You couple that with large megafauna, giant uh, animals who had never seen humans before and weren't afraid of humans before, you have the setting for a mass extinction. Okay, you have the setting for a mass extinction. And I know that we want to say that extinction only happens now because of bad corporations, and I can have that discussion with you, but there was a mass extinction 12 and 13,000 years ago in this hemisphere that had some big, big ramifications for the Native Americans who lived here uh, uh, right before the Europeans showed up. So this is not new behavior uh, on the part of humans. You can go through uh, archaeological sites and find in the Americas giant sloths that died out 12,000 years ago, American lion that died out about the same time, giant tortoises that were all over the, the, the Americas but they only survived in the Galapagos Islands where Charles Darwin showed up in the 1800s because there weren't people there. American cheetahs, it would have been cool to have seen those hanging around. Saber-toothed tigers that we named a hockey team after here in Nashville, right? That's why they're the predators, because they found one of those when they were excavating downtown. Where did they go? Why aren't they here anymore? There were camels in the Western Hemisphere, giant bison. There were horses here in the Western Hemisphere, mammoths, mastodons, something called the beautiful armadillo. I don't have any idea what that is, but I thought that that was an amazing two words put together right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's beautiful armadillo is like jumbo shrimp. There can't be such a thing, right? Giant beavers, giant condors, saber-toothed salmon. I don't have any idea what that might be either, but that sounds pretty tasty. Yeah, yeah, saber-toothed Okay, whole lot of this, whole lot of this, uh, is is interesting from a from a go dig it up in an archaeological standpoint. But there were these same animals in the Mid East about the same time as well. Uh, there were the precursors to the horses that got domesticated, and there were precursors to the camels that got domesticated, and there were precursors to the cows and the pigs that got domesticated. And that was a big, big deal to the people living in the Middle East because they started domesticating these animals instead of eradicating them. And uh, it turned out that all of the nasty diseases that were brought from the Europeans to the Americas were all uh, formerly livestock diseases. So smallpox was a variation of cowpox. And so you had people coming to a new world where there was an entire hemisphere of people who did not have these, uh, these immunities that they got from living with domesticated animals because all their precursors, all their prehistoric ancestors were gone. And the, the tide was so much in favor of the guns and the germs and the steel, fascinating book, um, uh, of the Europeans uh, because the, the, the very, very, very much inadvertent decisions that according to the uh, uh, archaeological record were made uh, 12 and 13,000 years ago. Flashing forward to 1492, this is uh, a place I've been a couple of times in the past year is the Lighthouse Monument. Uh, that commemorates where Columbus landed in 1492, uh, just outside of Santo Domingo, uh, 
just outside of Santo Domingo, uh, Dominican Republic, on the island of Hispaniola. Hispaniola. And I was asking, uh, when, I, when I was there a couple of months ago, I was asking uh, some of the guys uh, that I was with, what do, they, what do they think about that? Because it's, it's huge and it's garish and it's not beautiful, but it's big. And, and, and they said it wasn't really intended to be beautiful. It was intended to be huge and garish and big. Um, <laughs> I thought, wow, that's not a bad summary of what happened when, when we showed up here. Uh, that, uh, that there were some horrible, terrible things that happened uh, some in justified in the name of God, and many more just justified in the name of greed uh, that, that happened when, when the Europeans showed up here. But it wasn't the Europeans' fault that they had immunity uh, to smallpox. And it wasn't really their fault that they were able to forge steel, and it really wasn't their fault that they had livestock uh, and, the, and, the, uh, and, and the Native Americans here did not. So, our, our history would have been very different. Um, I, I believe our history would have been very different if people would have showed up um, here in the New World, going somewhere new with a very different view on what caring for the world looks like. Uh, I, I, I really and truly believe that, that it would have. Um, so. I think it's worthwhile dipping into the Bible for a second. And, and <laughs> what did I do? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, um, dipping into the Bible and talking about the times where God says, go somewhere new. Go somewhere new. Um, and it's interesting to me that, that, that he gives ex- explicit instructions of going somewhere new and doing good things when you get there, not going and destroying what you find there. So, um, in, in the biblical account, which I believe uh, every word of, I believe every word of, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, God tells Adam and Eve, your time here is done, or perhaps in a different way of looking at it, you were not put here to be hunter-gatherers. You were put here to build a civilization. So, Get out of this garden where you just where you just gather food yourself, and go work the land, and go tend the animals that I have given you, and 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 you know, go get a job for crying out loud. Um, and, and I do think that it's interesting when you read the the Genesis account about the descendants of Cain. You remember the bad guy uh, talks about what his descendants did, and they they were the ones who. Who, uh, who, who created stonemasonry and music and, uh, and, and all sorts of things that we call civilization right now. Uh, so let's get out of Eden. Let's remember our time in Eden. Let's remember what the Shire might have been like. Um, but you weren't intended to stay there. Abraham and Lot uh, were in the Middle East, uh, somewhere in the Euphrates near Ur, uh, go somewhere else, and you're going to be really successful when you go somewhere else. I promise. You, I know you don't believe me, but go somewhere else, um, and you're going to be very, very, very successful there. 
And you know what? You're going to be so successful that it's going to uh, it's going to ca cause some problems for people in the future. Um, if you could, uh, does somebody have Genesis 13:6 handy? Because there's there's something buried in the in the Abraham Lot story that uh, that is a a big big deal. Because the Abraham and Lot story is there's getting to be lots of people here. There's going to be lots of people here. And that's causing some issues here. Andy, do you have that? I don't. Uh, oh, sorry. 13, 6, 8. 13, 6, 8. Yep. 6 to 8. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. Canaanites and the Parasites? Yes. Some of my favorites. Who were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. But the land could not support them. But the land could not support them. There's, there, we're getting so many cows, we're getting so many sheep, and they are, they, they are destroying, we, we are messing in our nest here. Uh, the land cannot support. We've got to figure out a better way of, of, of doing this. Uh, we're still grappling with that. We are still grappling with finding a better way to do it. All right, this is a good one, Luke 10. Let's read it careful. We could spend the rest of class on this, and you'll never get to the point, but really, is that so unusual? Quit your whining, um, but still try and note that verse 23 says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Luke 10, uh, we, we, we won't read it, but it's worth reading in the context of this class. Um, where, uh, where Jesus sends out these 70 or 72, depending on how you read it, uh, and he says, go to a new place. Go to a new place. And you know what? When you get there, find a person of peace. Make sure they're not going to slam the door in your face. And then what I want you to do is I want you to start healing. Go to a new place, and I want you to make things better there. When he sends out the 72, he says, go to that place. Don't make it into the place that you're leaving. Make it into a better place of where it is. Go to that village. Find the people who are leaders there. Make it a better place. I wish to goodness that Columbus would have read that verse in that light when he showed up here instead of saying, I'm going to turn you into a bunch of Europeans. I wish to goodness he would have said, you know what? You could do an awful lot with steel. You know, our farming techniques are not too bad. Hey, thanks for the corn because that's going to be great. That's going to be great for future civilizations. I appreciate that, but you know, y'all get off to the side. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. When you go to a new place, with the eyes open of seeing what can be done there, uh, I, I do believe that the eyes are blessed that see that. Probably the most well-known and the one where you probably thought I was going is uh, is the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Go into all the world. Not just the not not just the parts that you're familiar with. Not just the parts that are, that are uh, uh, cool to go to, but go to all the world and preach and tell people to forgive. Tell people to get along with each other um, uh, when you go. Um, so I think that this is perhaps something that, we, we, that we're going to wrestle with because this isn't, uh, th this isn't just... Uh, there are very few places on this planet that we haven't been. Uh, and by we, I mean Christianity. I, I have been in some of the most remote places on the planet and, and met uh, 
uh, Wycliffe Bible translators uh, and, uh, and, and met people who, who have heard the name Jesus Christ. I've, I have eaten dinner with people who cannot eat dinner in the same place two nights in a row for fear that they're going to be, have their head chopped off uh, because of the work that they're doing in North Africa. Um, so are we stuck with, with being Martian evangelists? I don't know. It's a great book. It's a good movie too. Um, uh, but I hope that if we ever get to a point of finding new worlds with new people, that, uh, that we will perhaps, as Christians, be able to lend a voice of, let's be careful this time. Our story is not a, our resume of encountering new people is not a fantastic resume. It's not a fantastic resume. And eventually, our, our technology is going to get us to the point uh, that we'll be able to do things like that. Uh, and I hope and I pray that our ethics are evolved, if I can use that term, uh, along a similar path. Yeah. Yeah, the the prime directive, yeah, right? Prime directive. Yeah. And By the way, class is done now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Hollywood, you know, we 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 got that uh, on stage, but as a lifestyle, we just haven't gravitated to that. I mean, I, you know, ugly American book written out where. Yeah. It, I wrestle a lot with that, um, and, and, and first of all, in the stories that we tell, especially today, I think it's worth noting that virtually every story paints a bleak picture of the future. Everything is post-apocalyptic or just plain old apocalyptic. Something terrible has happened, you know, so we have The Walking Dead. Uh, it's a good show, um, and I enjoy it. But it's not a very positive view of the of the near term future, and we have uh, uh, you know the, the Maze Runner series, and we've got uh, you know uh, the Hunger Games is a good example. Uh, they all paint a very very bleak picture of the future. One of the things I like about Star Trek is that yes, there's Romulans and they're kind of a, annoying, uh, and there's Klingons and we, they they look funny, but um, but it but there's no poverty, right? They don't use currency. They've got on the bridge of the Enterprise, they have an African-American woman and they have a Russian there and they have a Japanese person there. You don't really notice it, but it, it's, just, it's just a, uh, a nice uh, mix of, of this planet that's on there. And they, and they have this prime directive of don't interfere, don't, don't interfere with other cultures because you know what? The underlying theme of that is that you're gonna screw it up if you do. <laughs> you're gonna really... It's just not going to happen. They're not 
democratic and they may will be democratic the more wired differently and that has created part of the mess that we're in now with Iceland and all that. It it, it I don't I, I think unquestionably it has and and I think that it's I, I believe that many of our motivations are good I think in, in, in many cases our hearts in the wrong place but our brain may not be in the right place right our hearts in the right place but our brain may not be um, uh, but but we also have the ability to play Monday morning quarterback on that too uh, I, I lived for a year in the in the mountains of Guatemala with indigenous uh, people and one of the hardest things that we that we grappled with was we don't want to turn them into Americans right we, we they have a beautiful culture here and yes they do chop chickens in half when they put up uh, when they put up a solar panel that was messy but uh, but it's still a beautiful culture and let's let's not try to turn them into Americans uh, but at the same time you know we're Facebook friends with some of them. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of weird being Facebook friends with people who live on a dirt floor and they and they cook inside of their home uh, and they deliver their own babies at home and yet you know you're you're, you're a Facebook friend with them. Um, and, and and when we go to Iraq, uh, or when we go to uh, uh, when we go down to Egypt. Uh, when Abraham goes down to Egypt, he doesn't try to turn the Egyptians into Jews. You know, he 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 works in their culture and learns from their culture. Um, I think there's a whole lot that we could learn and could have learned uh, from from other other cultures. I'm way off the reservation here, but this is I think an important point for us. Um, is is that uh, one of the thing one of the uh, hugest drawbacks of we've got it all figured out is uh, is this mindset of therefore we need to turn everybody into us right we're not bad we've done a lot of good things we have unlimited breadsticks okay that's a good thing that's a good thing but but we we can't have the mindset of let's turn you into us here's where that causes a problem we have very little right to tell Brazil you can't cut down your forest. Just based off of that. We deforested a continent between 1800 and 1900, right? We have very little right to tell China, you've got to put scrubbers on your coal-fired smokestacks. Well, you know what? It took us uh, about 70 years to get around to doing that. Uh, and we, we killed most of the fish in the eastern United States lakes because of acid rain. That's hard for us to tell other cultures other, that, they, that they can't do that. You know, you, you want to be able to say, it's a good thing for you to make these investments and to care for the creation. Um, and, but I wish that we could say it in the terms of, just don't make the same mistakes that we did. Don't make the same mistakes that we did. Um, we've done a lot of good things here. And some of the good things that we've done have been cleaning up some of the bad things that we've done. Right? I was talking to somebody recently, and I wish I could remember who it was, but it's somebody in the political realm around town. You don't even have to leave Nashville to have to worry about this type of thing because you're saying that a million people want to move to Nashville in the next 10 years, what they forget. And you got to put them somewhere. Right. And, you know, like it can be as little as simple as, you know, when you go to build that new neighborhood, 
do you clear cut it because it's easy, or do you leave some some green space? But yeah. it's a lot more, a lot harder, a lot more expensive. And like we have to figure that out here, like because you displace all the animals, you ruin all the you know things that kind of make the land special. Like who doesn't drive from every every other Sunday as we're driving north to come to church? We look at that, that field to the right. We're like, please don't let that ever become a Starbucks. Let it stay where the horses are. Right, right. I love the Turner property. It's beautiful, right? What right do I have to tell Cal Turner that he can't sell that? Right. You know? Yeah. I don't know. That's tough. That's tough. It, it, but, uh, and that's where you get to changing the pronoun from I to we, right? Because there's just some things that I can't do, but there's many things that we can because we are the things can be made new people. That's what we talk about here within these four walls of church. That's our spiritual message, is that things can be made new. Things can be made new here. I'll, I'll run through a few uh, nerdy graphs uh, just to, uh, just to uh, for, for, a, for a point of emphasis. This is a success. This is something that we did, and, I, and it's such a success that nobody thinks about it anymore chlorofluorinated carbons, CFCs. In the 1980s, they were being released in the atmosphere because they were a wonderful aerosol. That's right, hairspray, right? Yeah, yeah. And and it was great. It it, it was a good technology. It took a while for people to find out that those things get up into the air and they filter all the way up to what's called the ozone layer, which protects us uh, from uh, ultraviolet rays from the sun. And you know what? That is thinning out because those aerosols are up there We've got to really do something about that. No, we don't have to do anything about that. You'll be fine. No, it's going to cost jobs. It's going to make things more expensive. No, we've got to do something about it. So the Montreal Protocol in 1988 said, we've, we've got to find a different way to do it. And that's what's happened since then. And that's what's projected to happen since then. It is a huge success. We did that, right? We did that because we said, this needs to change. This is also a success. And this is something that people don't, don't think about very much. The, and, and I realize it's, it's blurry. These are deaths due to war. The, 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 the testimony to our inability to get things worked out is, I'm going to kill you, right? And through this, this past century, obviously, that was a bad time. But, but there were other wars going on in the world. And as terrible and as horrible as things are going on right now in parts of the world, it pales in comparison to our inability to get things worked out. That is also a success. And I hope that that trend continues. I pray that that trend continues. We are, things can be made new people. This is a success. Forest loss in the Amazon region. The general trend line is downward. General trend line is downward. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. The reason for that is not so much that, uh, that we have convinced people, all right, please don't. No, 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 really, really, please don't. The reason for that is that the farming in South America and here has become a lot more efficient. Uh, Yes, through pesticides, herbicides, other things that might be causing some other problems, but cutting down the forest is something that is, is slowing down. The lungs of this planet might actually survive. But this is also a success. This is Fred Gray. He's the guy who said, you know what, this isn't right. We can't do this. He defended uh, Rosa Parks uh, when, when she had the audacity to say, I don't feel like giving up 
my seat on the bus. And w when enough people get together and say, this is wrong and we can make this right, then that's a success story. And, and in many ways, this is related to this. I really believe that because you have to have more than one person saying, we got to do something about that. We got to do something about that. And if you want to have the discussion that we as Christians were very slow on the uptake on this, I can have that discussion with you. All right. We were, we were late to the game on it. Um, but uh, maybe in future endeavors, we won't be so late if we want to learn from that. This is a success right here. This is mortality rates due to infectious diseases, specifically influenza and typhoid, um, many of which are tied directly to sanitation, to, to how neat we are and how well we control our wastewater. Um, uh, th that is a success uh, that, that we should be very, very proud of. In the same breath, we should be proud of the fact that there are organizations like Made in the Streets in Africa that tell street kids from Nairobi that uh, you don't need to be drinking water out of the sewer. We can drill a well and we can grow crops. Uh, and uh, the hundred or so of you who are there that our church has been so instrumental in uh, can, can live healthier. That's a picture I took from the, from the, top, of the uh, uh, top of the tower looking out on the African plain uh, where, they're, where they're growing crops and feeding themselves and drinking the water that, that, that won't kill them. That is a success and that is a Christian ethic that we have. It's a success that famine deaths, we're going to have a class in a couple of weeks titled, And There Was a Famine in the Land. Uh, there's a, several of those in the Bible and many, if not all of them, have an environmental corollary to them uh, of why there was a famine in the land. Um, but you can see after the 1960s where people started seeing pictures and videos of people dying and starving, the, the rate of famine deaths fell off completely. That's a success. Having Open Table Nashville and Room in the Inn is a very, very similar success uh, that we've got. Renewable electricity is a success. Caring for widows and orphans is also a success. This is a report that I gave to EPA a couple of years ago on the sewer system of Brentwood. Free reading if anybody wants it. <laughs> um, it shows, uh, you may not want to think about it, but it happens. When the big rain events occur, the sewers are uh, overloaded and they will overflow into the Little Harpeth River. Um, uh, and that used to happen uh, very, very regularly, uh, almost when a heavy dew came about. It, 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 it rarely happens now. It rarely happens now. Uh, may, may, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. Um, and I know it's not very pleasant to think about, but when you go from 40 times a year to two times a year, uh, that's money well spent. That's a success. That's taking care of this planet. Living Water Project is taking care of this planet by, uh, by getting water. This is outdated now, John. We're at, what, 260? 240-something projects now that we've done. Um, I'm going to run out of time really quickly, but here's, here's, where we're, here's where we're headed over the next few weeks. The Bible says lots of things about things that we need to share. Our wealth, clothing, share our time, uh, share our uh, prayers for each other.
the little drummer boy could only share his, uh, his drumming ability and it makes me cry every time I hear the song. I think it's worth, worth considering that we should share our organs as well. But there are things that we have to share no matter what. We don't have a choice that we share these things. We do not have a choice that we share the air that fills our lungs. We share that with each other in this room. We share that with China. We share that with future generations. It is a fixed quantity that we are stuck with. We share that. We share the water that we drink. Every drop of water that's here now was here 13,000 years ago, was here a million years ago, was here five million years ago. It will be the same number of molecules five million years from now. If we're all still around, it'll still be the same fixed number of molecule, molecules of water. <coughs> There's the same amount of land and carbon cycle uh, that, that we all have to share. There's the same amount of energy that we all have to share. It is a fixed amount. So, final point, we gotta learn from our ancestors because they made mistakes too in caring for the creation and I think that that's one of the things from a historical standpoint that we can do looking forward, uh, speaking as Christians to this world, speaking as Christians to our elected officials, speaking as Christians to other Christians, um, that uh, we are in fact all in this together. Uh, we've made mistakes before, but we've had huge successes and we are people who can make things new. Talk to you later, thanks.